0: Hey there, my name is Dan.
1: My name is Joshua, and And we we are are the the Unauthorized Unauthorized Critics Critics Circle. Circle.
0: Now Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC.
1: With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the
0: normal bitcheries and
1: qualms by watching the video recordings from questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about Neil Simon's The Odd Couple, specifically the second Broadway Revival's performance on October 25th, 2005. This video is super accessible. Uh, You'll be able to find it on your major streaming site, where it's been around since the early 2010s. Uh, We mention this because while we review the show itself, we also talk about the specific performance that we've
0: seen. The internet is your friend, darling. So without further ado, the curtain is now rising. Joshy, you have left this theater in a mess. I am constantly cleaning up after you. I just don't know what to do with you. Uh,
1: Well, at least you know which one you are in the dynamic. Uh, Please enjoy our discussion of the second Broadway revival of The Odd Couple.
0: And so Walter Matthau was, of course, in the original production. Now, you know the famous Walter Matthau story, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, tell it, then. Oh, oh, you tell it so well. Why would I? Okay. So, Walter mathow was married to a woman named Carol. And they constantly got into fights, constantly got into fights, constantly got into fights. I mean, you would think it was foreplay for the two of them. Uh-huh. And Walter and Carol are on this tour of Europe, going to famous history sites throughout Europe. That's nice. And one day... The- they got into a really, really massive fight. They were on a tour of a historic site. Got into the worst fight ever. And Walter Matthau had it. And he said, no, I'm going to do a Walter Matthau impression. I won't do the best Walter Matthau impression, but this is what I got. Mm. Walter Matthau was just tired. And he said, that's it, Carol. That's it. I've had enough. You've ruined Auschwitz for me. Wow.
1: That's that's a, just an objectively great line. Isn't it? Jesus Christ. And to think, this is the same guy who broke the news for the Vietnam War. Holy hell.
0: <laughs> that's Walter Cronkite.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle.
0: Today, we well, are talking points, about by the way. a... Liter- you didn't know... You didn't know how I was going to work the Holocaust into this episode. You didn't know. <laughs> I wasn't curious, Seabless. Dan. I wasn't curious. Seamless and a true story. I did not make that up. Nathan yeah, Lane told con- congratulations. it many times. David Letterman, Probably. I believe David Letterman, I saw him tell the story. But Nathan Lane tells the story all the time.
1: Congratulations, Dan. You worked Jewish suffering into yet another episode of our
0: musical theater podcast. You're welcome. How else could we continue on? What did we watch today, Dan? We watched The Odd Couple.
1: Written by Neil Simon in a Broadway revival starring Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick fresh off their return engagement in The Producers.
0: Well, not fresh. Eh, fresh enough. It's been sitting on the counter a little bit, but it's still good. Nathan Lane was fresh off of going off to London to save the producers because they realized, mm. eh, Richard Dreyfuss, maybe the musical theater isn't the best place for him in his career. <laughs> what a concept. Let's, let's start off with uh, on the subject of the odd couple. Uh, what's your familiarity with this play? I had seen the movie, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago. Uh, probably longer than that, but I had seen the movie before, and mm. I've read a number of Neil Simon plays, and I recently, just a week ago, saw a regional production of Broadway Bound starring Austin oh, yeah. Pendleton. Oh, cool. The original Taylor Muddle Kong's oil from Feather on the Roof. Huh. So what did you know about the Odd Couple? Anything? Um, yeah, actually. Um... This is it's a my surprise. Tell us. Y- yeah. Uh
1: well, I'll start off specifically with the the property of the odd couple. It's sort of weird, but <clears throat> it's sort of become I this sort of I, I iconic outline, you know, the concept of the the pig roommate and the clean maniac roommate, you know, that dynamic. Um mm-hmm. I When I was younger, um, there was a uh, television adaptation of The Odd Couple starring Matthew Perry off Friends and Thomas Lennon, who's a comedian that I really, really love. Um, And it was sort of like, you know, two and a half menning The Odd Couple and making it all modern and making, you know, Matthew Perry, basically his character from Friends. Um, And
0: I remember this not being very successful. I think it maybe
1: got one season or two. Uh, yeah. I really don't remember th- if the dynamics matched what we saw here, but I just remember every single joke was Thomas Lennon saying something uptightly and then Matthew Perry responding very dryly and then a laugh track. Um, but so, that was on TV every now and then. I would pass by and I'd watch a little bit, and that was like my familiarity with the odd couple primarily. I, of course, um, knew who Neil Simon was and had always wanted to sit down and watch one of his plays. I knew he was this great, legendary, classic Broadway uh, comedy playwright. Um, And I was very excited to watch this in particular, to really start getting into
0: uh, his works. You had never seen a Neil Simon play? I don't know. I don't think so. Or one of the movie adaptations you had never seen, like *Barefoot in the Park*.
1: No, I had not. That's another play that I that I've danced around, but I've never gone and watched. Mm-hmm. If I'm no, in, a lot uh, of... they they have that uh, upcoming revival of uh, *Plaza Suite*, which uh, you know, if I'm if, 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 if i in if I'm in New get York for. Well, I mean, well, Sarah if Justin you can or... if you confront the uh, if you confront the like how much hundred fifty minimum I mean. that they're charging for that.
0: Is that the minimum?
1: I think it was something like, like, in the balcony, oh. seats are going for, like, 300.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's Matthew Broderick and, uh,
0: Jessica. No. Oh, my God. Wow. You, you... Wow. Really? Really? Wow. My
1: brain just destroyed itself.
0: Sarah well, Jessica you know, it's... Parker.
1: Parker. Well, you know, it's Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs)
0: Fuck me. Sarah Jessica Parker. She was Carrie Bradshaw. She was the third Annie in Annie. You don't know the Annies?
1: Okay, that one, you've made me no longer feel so much remorse for getting Sarah Jessica Parker's name wrong.
0: What? She was was the third Annie. She was... Andrea McCardle, Shelley Burch, Andrea uh, Sarah Jessica Parker.
1: Christ, that was act. That was the single most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me on the podcast. It's Matthew Broderick. It's what Sarah Jessica you, Parker. Yes. They're married. They woke up one morning and decided, hey, let's do a Neil Simon play, and it's coming. And they're of course tickets are going for hundreds and hundreds.
0: Matthew Broderick has a long storied history with Neil Simon. He was in Biloxi Blues and he was in uh, what was the first one? It's the trilogy. Biloxi Blues and Broadway Bound are the second two and the first one is I did a monologue from this play what the fuck is it called? Um, Brighton Beach Memoirs. Oh yeah. Sure sure sure. Mm -hmm. He was in Brighton Beach Memoirs and he was in Biloxi Blues like he was one of Neil Simon's go-to actors. Neil Simon's The Odd Couple.
1: Um, it's a pretty legendary play, and it's sort of become this great vehicle for two comedy actors to spar off each other in. Um, how do you think uh, The Odd Couple holds up as, uh, as a play?
0: If there's one thing Neil Simon likes to do, mm. he likes to take not much plot, <laughs> and he likes to stretch it out for at least two hours. <laughs> yeah. At least. Yeah. At minimum. And there are funny lines. And really, the interesting thing here is there was a revival of Brighton Beach memoirs and Biloxi Blues that mm-hmm. was supposed to run in rep. And Laurie Metcalf was in it. Oh. And. Brighton Beach Memoirs opened, Bloxy Blues never opened. Brighton Beach Memoirs ran about five performances and it closed. Oh, boy. And they have found it very hard to revive any Neil Simon plays recently. Huh. What, what and do you think it is? This is the interesting topic here. Why has he fallen out of fashion? A lot of people say, well, his writing, you can get on a sitcom and you can sit at home and be very huh. entertained. Well, and while I don't think that's 100% the issue, I will say I don't have the patience always for his plays, I've realized, watching this and watching um, Broadwood Bound. Mm-hmm. There's great writing. Um, he knows how to write a play, obviously. There uh-huh. are hysterical lines, there's not much plot and there are not enough hysterical lines to make up for the time and Uh i have found that every scene at least for a modern sensibility every scene has five extra lines and i don't know what five lines need to be cut but there is like a beat too much in each scene And when there is a beat too much in each scene by the ending, it's kind of hazardous. That's really interesting. And that's not to say that he did anything wrong. He wrote in the time that he lived. And he could not have been more popular in the time that he lived. Why has it not aged? Well, I think in modern sensibility, and it's not that anything is too long. It's just it feels like it needs a little tightening now. Uh because our attention spans are... Let's be honest, they're shorter. Yeah, that's for damn sure. And I'm done with every scene like 30 seconds before it ends. (laughs) And the last 30 seconds of a scene are usually great. That's not the issue. But the issue is I've run out of patience before the scene ends.
1: Right, because his whole thing is like, you know, taking a point and then deliberating upon it and like, you know... You know, it's like staying in that situation and it's uh, embellishing and embellishing and milking
0: it for all that there is there. Well, and I'm thinking, you know, we had August Osage County, which could not be a bigger hit, and that was three and a half hours. And no one minded that it was three and a half hours. But there were so many different plot things that were happening. Yeah. It, It was constantly active, right? So much plot. And his plays just don't have much plot. And it's not that they even need to. But without much plot, it's a heavy time investment to ask people well, to make now. And it's not even that it is too much, but it's literally, I think there are 10 minutes that can be chopped off of his plays, probably. Well, now here's the Somewhere thing. Somewhere in
1: there. you see, uh, I agree with you on that point about Neil Simon and about how audiences might be deterred by all that fact that, you know, it's, really not so much plot and you're still spending a lot of time in these situations with these characters you're not really moving forward too much plot wise um i would kind of also argue that i think the same could probably be said about a playwright like august wilson um and
0: august wilson's plays
1: seem to keep coming back to broadway and seem to keep getting raves right so what do
0: you think is the difference there August Wilson though there's such big topic issues and the writing right. is so lyrical Uh-huh So you don't mind being stuck in a five-minute monologue if the writing is lyrical and you're really astonished by just hearing the dialogue
1: mm-hmm So do you think it's it's the frivolity of comedy that might not let an audience be so engaged?
0: I was uh, uh, there's a monologue in Act 2 of Broadway Bound. Uh Where the mother explains she danced with a celebrity. And it was really a moving monologue. And I thought it was performed well. And about three minutes go by and I'm like, what a solid monologue. What a solid moment. This is terrific. Yeah. And then another two minutes go by and my patience is wearing thin.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then another two minutes go by and we are still on this monologue. And his characters are written with comedic timing forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Knowledge of ba 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 da ba 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 to sit and have someone deliver a seven-minute monologue in the middle of a Neil Simon play, you didn't set us up for that. And people just might have been more accepting of that in the past, but you're sitting in an August Wilson play. You know it's probably not going to have the most plot, but you know there are going to be some interesting topics to mull over, and you're going to get some gorgeous writing. So it's going to be worth the experience is going to be worth the time it takes because of the Mm -hmm. beauty that's inherent within neil simon you're going to hear the jokes and if the joke isn't happening this is taking long
1: yeah that's a good point
0: um and that's not to say he couldn't write dramatically and that he couldn't have dramatic moments that landed i mean he definitely wrote some serious more serious plays the gingerbread lady comes to mind immediately um that work but in a Neil Simon comedy, you're looking for the jokes. Yeah. I get that. And again,
1: him being such a popular playwright of his time of the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the, you know, the real middle period of the century. He was writing not just what was popular, but what was successful. He helped in part contribute to that, you know? And so he was sort of playing within this style, within this parameter of what audiences were liking at that period, and so judging well, it by I mean, today's standards, we're not judging it by you know the the style in which he was writing. It feels divorced, but that almost could be seen as a comment on the style rather than just his capability as a writer. You know, which mm-hmm. you've which you've stressed several times.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's. You look at even his career before Broadway. He was an early television writer. So he was one of the people that set the rules of a Uh sitcom. And now the sitcom has progressed and become something different. So the cadences are still familiar, but they're moving faster. And he's not moving any faster because his plays were written in 1960, what have you. Yeah, totally. I liked this a lot. Yeah. I liked this a lot. It's just minor annoyances here where I'm just like, I think this scene is dragging.
1: Mhm. You know what was interesting for me though, was to really see the root of such a cultural icon that the concept of the odd couple has become. Do you you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because even beyond the original Neil Simon play, I would say even beyond all of these popular adaptations of the Neil Simon play. It's a notion that has become so, so, so popular, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's almost like seeing, like, you know, the definitive version of these character types and of this character dynamic in particular. And it it, it was nice seeing it, like, at its relatively most pure, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I think there 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 are there are certainly fantastic moments here. I and and, and you know audiences in two thousand five even were were dying. I I mentioned to you as I was watching there was this one moment around the beginning of the second half of Act One. Um, it was just a scene where Nathan Lane slaps a pickle out of another character's hand, and the audience is laughing so hard that they laugh through the next joke that is said. And I've never, ever experienced that
0: in the Mm -hmm. theater. Ever in my life. Well, and there are some great jokes. I mean... Absolutely. It's an overdone monologue that young people do at this point, but the whole F you, Felix Unger. (laughs) Yeah. It lands. There are a lot of jokes that just land Mm -hmm. and work. And are always going to be funny. And are timeless. Yeah. What was your favorite part of the play?
1: Really, it was that second half of the first act. Um, Something I felt in particular with the very beginning is... I was expecting this legendary, hilarious Neil Simon comedy. And I was finding it humorous. You know, I was able to look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's witty. Oh, yeah, that's that's humorous. That's oh, yeah, that's that's fun. Like, you know, like I was recognizing, oh, that's a joke. Oh, that's a well-written joke. Didn't really make me laugh. I laughed a couple times, uh, surprisingly more by uh, Brad Garrett's hand than Nathan Lane's, which I was not expecting. Um, and by the time you get to that second half of the first act, the curtain goes up. And the apartment is completely spotless and the audience is killing themselves and you realize, okay, I get it. You know, it takes that really? entire half of the first act, the, the beginning of the show to establish this world and, you know, be funny while doing it but not really hilarious. You're, you're able to be funny while you're establishing this but, you know, it's sort of at the, at the heart of comedy in order to really get an audience to laugh they have to care about what they're watching first, right? You can't just give them some funny colors and lights and have them get as satisfying a laugh as they would get from something that they're really invested in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's possibly a detriment of the material. Maybe it's a limitation of the style uh, that you aren't able to get such hilarity off the bat. But I think the payoff is way worth it. And that. You know, just watching everyone storm out of the poker game one by one by one. That entire sequence for me was just perfect. Seeing everyone grapple with what the hell this new universe they were in was. Um, I like seeing people have existential crises when things are too normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? What stood out to you in this show?
0: I really liked the third act. I, I thought oh, yeah. that was by far the strongest part of the play for me the beginning Um, the whole beginning slapstick sequence i adored well and not just the slapstick but it was interesting to see the dynamic being turned on its head yeah i'm angry at you i'm tired of this and then kind of Mm -hmm. it justified the entire play because oh yeah the very end he said what was it um don't put your cigarette butts out on the floor. Oscar finally said that. And you realize, yeah. well, the, the entire play has been about how they've changed each other.
1: I have to and I have to tell you, I was really affected by the last ten minutes of this play. And I don't know why. Like, yeah. I really did get yeah, a pit too. in my stomach for Felix, on Felix's behalf. Uh-huh. And that was spectacular. That was really fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you look at it structurally, you realize the first act, they set up the situation. Mm -hmm. The second act, they set up what the dynamic is between Oscar and Felix. The third act, they turn that dynamic on its head. Yeah, structurally, it's really smart. Yeah, the overall structure works, of course, and that's one of the things Neil Simon is great at. Um, Mm. But, yeah... I thought the second act was just too long. Mm. You you establish, okay, he's neat, he's messy, and then what? And then you bring on the Pigeon Sisters. Okay, well, that's a new shading, and we get to see them interact in this new dynamic. That's nice. And then that went on a little long. And then they're angry at each other, and it's like, this is brand new territory. This is what I want to see. I want yeah. to see something that, because it was just like Oscar was like, you're going to stay at my house. Okay. And then we don't move beyond that. Like, this yeah. is what this person is like. This is what this person is like. We don't really understand why Oscar, inv- we know why Oscar invited him to stay at his house, but why is he still there? We're really not sure. It doesn't seem like they really like each other. So why are they living together? I don't know. You know yeah it it just it wore thin a little bit for me and then you see them mad at each other you see them on new territory and you see that they've kind of really had it well great this is the frustration that i'm kind of looking at and was anticipating before it even happened
1: yeah you know what you know what felt really long to me what The entire Felix is trying to commit suicide sequence in the first act. That was the biggest thing to me where I felt that just went on and on and on. You know, that was something where I was like,
0: you could have done half of that. I don't think times have changed. I don't think suicide is as funny a punchline now. As it once was.
1: That, well, that too. That too. I was almost like, you know, tr- I'm not like even just trying to divorce it from that notion of, yeah, I don't know if I'd, you know, heighten all the suicide material right now. Not that it's like, you know, oh, touchy-touchy. It's just not so, it's not really funny anymore.
0: It's not, it's not, I don't get a laugh out of that. It's just, well, it's anyway. not that it can't be funny, but it's...
1: It, they, it's not a humorous situation. Rather,
0: yeah, it's not necessarily a humorous situation, and it's not... Someone that's up on the gallows that's being dark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not self-deprecating suicidal humor, which I think can be funny. It's more, sure. oh no, he's going to commit suicide, let's stop him, and there's going to be physical antics from that.
1: I will say the payoff at the end of the second act was great, with with uh, Oscar storming out and saying, it's 12 stories,
0: not 11. Uh-huh. Yeah no that section did go on long this is a well written play that's not a question Um, it's just is it the freshest to modernize no and part of that might be that we're just so familiar with the dynamic by this point and there's been how many different uh, (laughs) you know um, (laughs) sitcoms and animated TV shows there was an animated odd couple where I believe there were a couple of cats huh and interesting it's something that's so ingrained at this point that is it fresh to us no the show is done
1: again and again and again and again whether it's on tv or if it's on film or if it's on the stage
0: um there's a female version where oscar and felix are females and he rewrote mm-hmm. the entire show that was uh, sally struthers and rita moreno Sally Struthers and Rita Moreno. That would have been very entertaining to see. I can't imagine. Also, funnily enough, Tony Shalhoub's Broadway debut. Really? Yeah, huh. he, uh, played, uh, he played He uh, played one of the former Pigeon sisters. He, he was there with Louis Stadlin, who of course was Horace Vandegelder on the recent Hello Dolly tour with Betty Buckley. Oh, is that so? Mm-hmm. And he was he's known for his Groucho marks because he did Minnie's boys with Shelley Winters. and he played Groucho in that musical. You know, uh, honestly, I, I, w- I just want to think about who else could who else could we get to do the
1: odd couple? What are those perfect comedic pairings that we could throw in?
0: <laughs> do you want to do it?
1: Should do I want to do, do the odd couple with you? Yeah, who's what? Well What do you, th- what do you think, Dan? I don't know. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? I don't think we need to pull names out of a hat. You're Felix. I'm Oscar.
0: Really? Like,
1: yeah, like, of course. Like, like, of course.
0: Well, I've always seen myself as an Nathan Lane type. As a
1: performer, sure, but I mean, come on. One character is the messy schlub who never has all the shit in order, and then the other one who's You're right me. a little bit too all put together and has too much off at hand and is too tedious with all of the stuff he needs to get accomplished. Are we both Oscars? Is that why this doesn't work? If if I just relayed that reading and you still saw yourself as an Oscar, I don't know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm intelligent. And I guess that would make me more Felix. I do cook, but I don't like cleaning. I don't like cleaning. Someone else can do I- cleaning.
1: Um, I just, <laughs> I just think it feels like it's it, it's a battle between left brain and right
0: brain, right? Is it really that mythic that it becomes left brain, right brain? I yeah, <laughs> frankly, I think so. Don't you? Uh, sure, but then what are you calling me? If the shoe fits.
1: When it comes to your uh, method of communication when it comes to the way you relay things it's uh left brains driving the force you're a cold-hearted bitch is what i'm saying
0: uh, thank you uh when it comes to communication i usually intimidate and then publicly humiliate when you don't know information uh...
1: exactly that's a that's a <laughs> that's a methodical breakdown of a person that's the but most I've... left brain you can get
0: but I'm very entertaining while I do it, which is why people stick around. <laughs> we are the yin and yang that you find in The Odd Couple. Are we, really? Oh, that's interesting. Honestly- Maybe we should do The Odd Couple.
1: <laughs> I think I'd be Vinny. He's just sort of there and that? a little bit pathetic. He's the, he's the one who Lee Wilcoff played here.
0: Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, but I've always yeah. seen myself as Seymour.
1: Oh, don't do yourself like that.
0: Well, no, no, I, I think I could play Seymour.
1: Isn't I isn't Seymour's character description basically like, just uh, pathetic? No. Well, well, I mean, you I, wouldn't know it judging by the recent off-Broadway production, yeah. but still. <laughs> you know, recent recent Seymour's who come to mind. Let's list them off: Jake Gyllenhaal. Jeremy I've Jordan, always seen myself Jonathan as a Groff, Jake Gyllenhaal
0: type. I can play Seymour. <laughs> Except um, Brokeback Mountain. I'm not much of a bottom. I do it on occasion, but oh,
1: yeah. Hey, audiences. Um, we God. We're learning more than we thought we would with an odd couple episode, aren't we? <laughs> Wait, real quick, real quick. I want to yeah. touch upon something. Uh, sure. Um. I don't want to speak too much on stereotypes or anything or putting these two different characters into boxes, but of all these interpretations that I've seen of the odd couple, at this one particularly, how is it that Oscar was more homosexual than Felix was?
0: I How'd didn't that happen? think that. I did not think that for a second.
1: I thought that personally. for a lot of the show.
0: I did not.
1: I didn't buy for a single second that Nathan Lane's character was straight. Like, not for a half second.
0: That's up I to can't you. put I, my finger
1: on it. I just like I just I bought it.
0: Have you uh, here's an interesting question. Have you ever bought Nathan Lane as a straight man?
1: Yeah, honestly. Okay. I thought uh, he, I have it, it I have him. two,
0: and I bought him here as heterosexual. I mean, he held Maybe- that basketball well. <laughs> even that looked out of place now that i'm remembering it (laughs) no no stop no
1: seriously seriously he tossed it well i was surprised at that see that's not a that's not a dig that's not a homophobic remark that's just me commenting on i'm genuinely surprised that nathan lane
0: could toss a basketball that well good on him well not to jump the gun too much but do you then think that Maybe Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick should have switched?
1: No, no. No? No, and I get completely why they were casting these characters. You know, because one is a more broad... Like, you know what? If we were to shift this over, keeping this within the producers, I would totally, 100%, see Zero Mostel as Oscar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And on that same note... I would also totally see
0: Gene Wilder as Felix. And I could see Walter Matthau as Max Bialystock. Sure, yeah, honestly. I mean, it's not out—I don't think Nathan Lane is out of place. I don't know why you didn't buy him as heterosexual, but I think that speaks to your overall um, homophobia. All Moving right. Moving on. Hey, hey. Let's wrap up the play. Yeah, good idea. There Let's wrap might in be ball ten minutes in there of actually talking about the play.
1: You know what? <laughs> we got a fifty-minute episode. We got a fifty-minute episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Overall, it's really interesting to see, as I've said, the origins of this caricature, but it also then highlights the fact that the concept has evolved so much from its origins, right? And that mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, going back to the very, very original after seeing, like, you know, adaptation after adaptation after adaptation. I'm sure if you went back to watch an original production of, like, a Shakespeare play, you'd go, oh, well, that was pretty underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like you, you, you're, you're seeing it in its most pure form, but you're also seeing it in its, I suppose, least developed Embryotic. form. Embryotic. Right? Embryotic. oh that's a very good way to put it yeah embryotic. it is this embryo of a thing and you've seen it grow and sprout into something so much bigger than it was originally and sort of it it, it, it sort of I don't want to say cheapens but it sort of of
0: minimizes the impact maybe that's not even to say necessarily that the new form is better I mean some things grow like cancer and Oh, boy. Is that well, well, that's I mean, the frame of reference? I, I, I'm not saying that the uh, odd Couple has grown and become cancerous, but I'm saying some of the new incarnations have been good. Some have been bad. Uh, it's become, at this point, a kind of mythic, messy, neat, left brain, right brain, as you said earlier. Uh And, you know, putting two people that do not get along that are so different and making them live together. yeah, It's something that we are going to see ad nauseum the world over. And I, I think what I got watching this was a nice reminder of, okay, I can see why Neil Simon had the career he had. I can see what is good about this play. I can really appreciate it, and I enjoy it, and I am laughing myself. Is it the most vital theater in the current climate? Not necessarily, Mm. but I don't think it's something that should be forgotten. And Especially when you have a production and performers that deal with the material so well, I don't object to putting it on and going to watch it, and going to see it, and talking about it. Because I uh-huh. think this was really a terrific production.
1: Absolutely. Um, you want to know something funny about this production? What's funny? Uh, I was watching this production, and you know what I said to myself?
0: What'd you say?
1: I said, uh, and this is absolutely true, I said, I wonder if this is a Joe Mantello production.
0: Really? You didn't look up <laughs> yes! first?
1: No, I actually didn't. I didn't know it until, like, just before... I didn't look up the name until we just before we started recording the episode. And sure enough, uh, this production was, in fact, directed by Joe Mantello, who we previously talked about as the director of the 2018 production of Three Tall Women.
0: And because we cover so many plays on this podcast, I think he's probably <laughs> directed half of the plays we've ever covered.
1: <laughs> anyway, tune into to our next play when we talk about uh, The Boys in the
0: Band. Anyway, tune in next week when we discuss other desert cities.
1: Oh yeah, everyone's favorite
0: of the desert cities. Judith Light and Stoker Channing. Yep, yeah, production
1: directed by Joe Montello, who has directed half the plays on Broadway in the past like t- 15 years. Um wh- What did you think of this production
0: overall? It started and I was like, wait a minute. That isn't it did. This place- Isn't this apartment supposed to be really messy? I'm seeing, like, a lot of blank space. (laughs) This isn't really giving me hoarder or really bad mess. But then it cleaned up, and I was like, okay, I could see how they would consider that messy. Yeah. Um, It was a very attractive scenic design, and for a unit set, if you have a unit set and it's ugly unit set... (laughs) What are you doing? Um... (laughs) <laughs> no, it, it was an attractive set. It was an attractive production. I was struck by the amount of physical business that Joe Mantello added to the show. Yeah. Sure. I mean, so much as Oscar is eating and Felix holds a ladle under his mouth. Little things like that, here, there, yeah. and everywhere really underlined the dynamic and visually told you the story
1: well to be frank i think it's a case of knowing who your actors are um if you've ever seen uh, nathan lane in a jerry Zachs show you know that his whole thing is movement um like it's one of the strongest gifts he has in his toolbox and so of course you're going to give a good amount of physical comedy because you know that Nathan Lane is going to fucking sell it and that Matthew Broderick is going to help him set it up.
0: Mm Oh, oh, that's something we didn't talk. Well, I guess it's perfect to talk about right now. The massage. Uh Uh-huh. Nathan Lane giving Matthew Broderick a massage and then I don't really know what I'm doing here. He bends him over and kind of just glides his arm along his back. That (laughs) was one of the funniest fucking things I've seen in a long time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: no but you you know it is as as much as it is an attractive production that's definitely a word that I would use for this as well um it is pretty smart and it's you know it's Joe Mantello is one who really knows how to adapt to his company uh we saw that tenfold in Three Tall Women we saw how well he was able to manage that company and this is of course you know a decade earlier but
0: do you mean how well he was able to be a sparring partner Yes,
1: yes, uh, well, no, 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 that was John, John's the sparring partner that was
0: John, sorry John was the formidable sparring partner
1: (laughs) I still can't get that image out of my mind of him just laughing and shrugging it off at the Tony's What are you gonna do? (laughs) (laughs) It's Glenda fucking Jackson, who am I, you know? (laughs) Um it's it's smart, it makes the most of the material, and he does what he does best, which is elicit some fantastic performances,
0: which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a, in a gif. Yeah, it's one of those productions that really centers the material and allows the material to shine. You know, he works with celebrities a lot, and... True, theatrical celebrities especially theatrical celebrities and you did say he tailors the show to the celebrities what is that what do what do we think he's doing here Uh, in both here and just in general well i don't know i don't know
1: if that's specifically a joe mantello thing even you know outright i feel like that's a very common recurring trend with Broadway nowadays, especially plays, that if you want to have a show be big and if you want to have a blockbuster play, you've gotta put really a big star. names in mm-hmm. them. But he yeah, doesn't even so just well. outright star, but like big names. Yeah, because he's he's smart about it. He doesn't go who's the biggest, who's the best, who is off the top of my head, someone like, you know, who would fit in this thing. He's he he knows the lexicon, he knows the breadth and the extent of performers that he has the capability and access to. And so he uses it to the best of his ability. That's how you get uh, Glenda Jackson in Three Tall Women. That's how you get Laurie Metcalf in November. That's how you get Nathan Lane in The Odd Couple.
0: But then what work do you think is happening once they get in the rehearsal room?
1: You know, I think a substantial amount of the work probably has to happen just before... Right? Because I feel like it's at then a situation where Joe would be sitting down and going, okay, here's the show, here's the star, where's the bridge? You know? And he's done a little bit of that work to go, well, here's the star, figuring out what bridge a star would connect with. But then sitting down and figuring out, okay, now let's sort this bridge out. Let's get the materials that this bridge is going to need, you know? Mm-hmm. And building a production around it.
0: No, that definitely makes sense because... I mean, you think about Nathan Lane, and this is really the most gruff I've ever seen him. Absolutely. And I mean, he was more terrifying in Angels in America, but that, it, it wasn't a gruffness. I mean, this was yeah. just a hard-edged, and almost one note. Not that the performance was uh, one note, but on un- un- understanding that, yeah, the character really doesn't change throughout the play until the very end, and that is the point. And so then I think really it's meeting the performer where they are Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. he lets Nathan Lane to do his regular, not regular shtick, but he knows he's physical. So let's put all of these physical bits in for him and he's able to serve up Nathan Lane in a way that is authentically Nathan Lane. But I think he's also good at just where, what are you bringing to the table and how do I push you? Where can we really push you into the play and push your boundaries to fit the character. You know what's something, too? When it comes to Nathan Lane,
1: where he so brilliantly succeeds is that he can stay on a point for hours and 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 and never let you tire of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Think of his Mm Pseudolus, in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Think of his Nathan Detroit. Those are both characters that, for large, large, large parts of the show, are extremely one-note. It's the same point over and over and over and over again, and he still so perfectly knows how to capture it, how to make it entertaining, and how to give it more life, and to give it thing after thing after thing after thing. He knows how to ruminate on a theme, and so... That's a smart, strategic choice from Joe Mantel, then, to go, well, this character's one note. Who can I get that will be able to do one thing well over and over and over again and never let the audience get tired of it? That's Nathan Lane's deal. He's awesome at that. And then from Nathan Lane, you, of course, make the connection to Matthew Broderick. Oh, the producers. Oh, these comedy duo. Oh, one playing off the other. One is nervous and one is
0: uh, more frivolous. I don't think that... Joe Mantello was like, I'm going to sit down and do The Odd Couple. And who can I get? Well, I'll get Nathan Lane. Oh, and then maybe I should get... No, I think it was no, Matthew Broderick and not. Nathan Lane wanted to work together. They decided, oh, let's do The Odd Couple. And then they went and found Joe Mantello. But Oh, do you think... Oh, sure. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? This does seem very much
1: like a, you know what we could do kind of
0: production. hmm I remember the story at the time and it was a big press story neil simon gave nathan lane and matthew broderick the rights of the play and said you will not be ad living oh boy and there was a big kind of kerfuffle in the press about you're going to be seeing Nathan Lane and you're going to be seeing Matthew Broderick, but they're staying completely on script. They aren't going to be ad-libbing. You're not going to see them ad-libbing. Do not expect them to ad-lib. And a lot of people felt betrayed that they were actually going to follow the <laughs> script and not ad-lib at all. <laughs> that they absolutely God, that's had hilarious. to stick to the script. It was a big scandal <laughs> about this.
1: That's so funny! Holy shit! Uh-huh. I love the notion that it's. Yeah, I guess of course if you're gonna go see Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, you kind of want to see Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick,
0: you know. Well, because especially when they came back to the producers, Nathan Lane <laughs> did what he wanted to do when he came back. He had it all. Kinds yeah, of, of course. In this show.
1: No-, no, but I I understand the impulse. Nathan Lane is
0: fucking hilarious. It's like well, could it used you imagine to be a stand-up comedian Lane and Stack?
1: Could you imagine like putting Robin Williams in a Broadway show and then making him completely
0: bound to a comedic book? Well wasn't he in Waiting for Godot at one point?
1: Yeah, with uh, Steve Martin uh, over <clears throat> in LA, I believe.
0: I don't think the that's Ionesco, right? It's Samuel Beckett. Beckett. Jesus fucking Christ.
1: Wow, that one was wow. that one was
0: actually kinda of disappointing. You wow. so the names are just the joint
1: the names are really screwing
0: you today. Wow. Yeah, that's the level of the name screwing me. I don't think the Beckett estate <laughs> was also going to be very kind to. Let's change the Samuel Beckett play. <laughs> I will say the smartest comedic
1: decision. From the jump is Robin Williams going, yeah, I'm going to do a Beckett play. I think the funniest fucking outcome in that scenario would just to be doing a Beckett play word for word. (laughs) I think that's actually funnier than anything that anyone could come up with. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine putting Jim Carrey in
0: Godot? No, but I don't like Jim Carrey. You don't like Jim Carrey? I don't like Jim Carrey. That's fucking reprehensible. Sorry.
1: I think this could have been infinitely funnier if they had been given that freedom. I genuinely think that. Because Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, they're not necessarily ones for cheap laughs. They don't just come up with a frivolous fart line and just go, Oh, we're going to throw that in randomly. You know, like you just mentioned with the taboo line. They're kind of on the pulse. They know what the audience... Is gonna get a kick out of their smart theater performers. I think that would have been a good decision. Yeah, but overall, uh, I do agree with you, Joe. Mantello's strongest suit here is letting this material speak for itself and letting these performers embody this material so well. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a. Though he may be a sparring partner, he is a great, great leader and someone who really knows how to push an actor towards that perfect final destination. And, yeah, he, I, I, I think he made the absolute most of the material. He, he, he made The Odd Couple funny in 2005, which I don't 100% know that the script alone would have been able to do as effectively.
0: I think I'd agree with that. Um, not yeah. that it's a bad script, not that the script is at all um, defective, but adding more modern sense of humor onto what the script is.
1: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Making it funny for a contemporary audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which again, the play is what was what? 40 years old at that point. With a musical, you have a little bit of leeway. You're able to push that farther. For just a play, it becomes a little bit harder. Yeah. Unless it's, like, you know, specifically timeless. And Mm -hmm. The Odd Couple being so of that period, it was brilliant that they were able to do it as effectively as they
0: did here. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You think we'll ever see it again?
0: The Odd Couple? I'm sure we will if you have the right pairing. Um... I don't know, maybe one day we'll get Noah Centineo and Timmy Chalamet and The Odd Couple. Jesus fucking Christ, that unnerved me. I've never heard you make such a contemporary reference. That's not... I mean, it, that eventually, I would think in another 20 years, we're going to have to go at it. And <clears throat> I think it would have to be names of that level. And not to say that they're the best actors in the world. I like Timmy Chalamet a lot but they have to be that size of names.
1: Are they, Is there anyone that comes to mind, any
0: productions of
1: the odd couple that you'd like to see? Anywhere throughout time. Current, past.
0: What's a, what's a pairing that you, you you might go for? <laughs> Ethel Merman and Mary Martin and the female odd couple. Oh. Ooh, I like it. I like it. That's where I jump I through. like that a lot, actually.
1: I mentioned... For a half second, Zero Mustel and Gene Wilder, who I thought might be good in the show. Mm-hmm. But you know who you would know be another great Zero Mustel partner here? Who? Jack Guilford, actually. Jack Gilford, um, Who played uh, Hysterium in
0: Forum to Zero's uh, okay. Pseudolus. Okay. You know Jack Klugman played Oscar famously for yeah. a number of years.
1: Yeah. Um, who
0: else would I like to see? Anytime you know, he,
1: he, one one production I forgot, I neglected to mention. Uh, it was a university production oh, in Ontario, but oh god, uh, Martin Short was Felix and Eugene Levy was Oscar. I don't know that that wouldn't work. I think, I think that would be a good pairing. Do you? I think they probably could still do it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would, yeah. I would have seen that in like. The 2000s yeah. as well. Uh-huh. I'd see that today.
0: Oh, yeah, you think? No, uh, uh, they, they might be getting a little old. They might be getting a little old, but I'd still see it. I'd still buy a ticket. Hmm. And Martin Short, sure, of course, enough. is having the big hit of Hulu with the only murderers only murderers in the building.
1: Yeah, and Eugene Levy hot off Shit's Creek.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All oh, right. On that note of performances, let's talk about the ones we actually got. Sure. Um, Let's jump into this cast. Um, We've got a surprisingly stacked ensemble here Uh of uh, supporting players. First of all, Lee Wilcoff is here playing Vinny, who
0: eats a sandwich. Lee Wilcoff, the first ever Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah,
1: legend uh, originated one of the most legendary roles in the entire musical theater canon. Yes. Um, it sort of feels like he'll he'll do anything, right? Like it sort of feels like he'll just say yes to whatever comes across.
0: He's a working actor. Very working, that's for sure. He's a working actor. You get the paycheck so you can pay your rent. Sure. Yeah. He was also in the original production of Assassins. He was. He was uh, Bic. Um, Mm, He he does constantly work. Um, Here, I thought he was very charming. mm -hmm. He, I I thought, was perfectly cast more than anything, you know, talking about going down to Florida. (laughs) Yeah. He very much felt like
1: that, you know, sort of
0: quiet, timid homebody. mm Mm-hmm if you um, read that part on the page and you thought, who's the best possible person I could cast as this right now, you'd get Lee Wilkoff. It is just exemplary <laughs> casting.
1: Yeah. Uh, I liked the performance. It was a it was one of the more blink and you'll miss it as far as the writing went
0: but God, he he, he, uh, he sold what he had. And the look on his face when Nathan Lane <laughs> slapped the pickle away from him. It's like trying to register did that happen? Yeah. I think that happened. <laughs> did that happen? What what am I What did I do? Now what am I supposed to do from here?
1: <laughs> um Yeah, great performance from Lee Wilkoff. theatrical legend. Happy to have him here. Um Next up, I want to talk about uh Rob Bartlett. Sure,
0: um, another person who constantly works.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I tried looking him up afterward to see like what I would have seen him in and where, where like I would have known him. And I looked it up and I realized that I hadn't seen him in anything before this, which I found so weird because he felt so familiar. And then I realized he was a stand-up comedian. He's a stand-up comic who also regularly works as a theater actor.
0: You know, um, I saw him in person when I saw the revival of Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, the revival or the original Broadway production? It was a revival, but the first time the show had played Broadway. Sure, just like two thousand three Tall Women. or two thousand four. Yeah yeah, 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 with Hunter Foster and Carrie Butler. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. That was actually the first show I saw on Broadway. I'd seen many touring shows, but that was the first show I had ever seen on broadway Mm. in new york
1: i thought he was beyond perfect in this Mm -hmm. i thought of all these supporting characters certainly he was the absolute funniest um why do you think that is i think it's because he was the one who was so willing to be big and loud and theatrical and over the top and you know he he his style felt very classic it felt, you know, very traditional, very muggy, very big and brash, very large comedy. You know what I mean? Well, and that matches which I thought really worked for the material. That yeah,
0: matches the material. Absolutely, oh, great performance. Um,
1: yeah, really, really fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, uh, we have got uh, Brad Garrett here as Murray. Uh, where would the audience know Brad Garrett?
0: Well, the audience would know Brad Garrett from that line of in Arrested Development where Jason Bateman tells Jeffrey Tambor, yeah, you're a regular Brad Garrett. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
1: Uh, I do listen to some of these episodes, so our audience would get it. Um, he, uh, He's a big camera actor, and he's also a big theatrical what actor. Oh, is he? He's been um, on the
0: camera. Can you imagine like having no idea who Brad Garrett is? Never seen him in my life. Never heard his voice. Have no clue who he is. That'd be so Never got funny. a
1: hint of this person's outline.
0: Yeah. God, he's fucking just, what hasn't Brad Garrett done? He's just like that one guy Christ. who happened to be in a play with Nathan Lane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty understated career Brad Garrett's had. The guy has credits like people have hair follicles. He has been in everything, and you've seen him in at least five things, and that's a promise. Um, and he's he's great in this. He's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so on the money. He's so is able to read the environment, and he's able to read the room as this as his character. Um, and he adapts perfectly to these circumstances. He feels like such a great organic part of this dynamic you know he works so hard at um achieving this kind of equilibrium between all the guys and between Nathan Lane and you know writing writing the wave of Nathan Lane in general is not the easiest feat and he does so so effortlessly Mm -hmm. uh Brad Garrett gives a fucking awesome performance and very
0: very delighted at that no, he's nice to have on stage. Um, yeah, I don't think he's done anything since, but Eh, come back. <laughs> take a look at his uh, take a look at his camera credits. You'll find out
1: that's not the case. I wonder if the guy has had time to eat breakfast since.
0: Well, there uh. are a lot of animated movies that he needs to do voiceover work for. Yeah,
1: Jesus fucking Christ, evidently. Um. Okay, so now we have Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And how do you want to tackle this?
0: Were they in this show? Uh, Just about. Huh. I didn't notice them. (laughs) No? Very understated production? Very understated performances from the both of them.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what you get with uh, Ivo Von Hova's uh, The
0: Odd Couple you know when the camera i can't believe i will that into existence when the camera went and really showed you (laughs) how badly oscar was a hoarder and that's why he didn't want felix going back into his bedroom because although the rest of the apartment was clean he was still a hoarder back in his bedroom it was very sad i was gonna say
1: First of, all, first of all, the use of the camera is when Felix goes to walk around in Oscar's room. That's the use of the camera right there. Second of all, Ivo Von Hova's messy hoarder apartment is um, a couple chairs lined up against the wall, some paper crumbled in a corner, and maybe a broken piano on the back wall.
0: No, you don't remember. You, you clearly didn't see it because... Every time they picked up a prop, it ended up broken on the ground. So by the end, both of the actors' feet were bleeding, and you saw the blood strewn across the stage.
1: And it was all real too. Mm Brilliantly, brilliant brilliant man, brilliant man. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, How do you want to tackle this? Do you want to go individually, or do you want to talk about the collective, or what? What had you known of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick individually? What had I known of Nathan Lane? Mm -hmm. Well, like, uh, have you I'm seen... I'm inexperienced. I'm not a dumbass. Uh, had you seen either of them in person before? Well, in person,
1: no. I don't have that kind of money. But I've seen many of their performances individually. I, I think I raved earlier uh, in this episode about Nathan Lane's performance as a pseudolist in A Funny Thing Happened All the Way to the Forum. For my money, one of
0: my favorite musical comedy performances I've ever s- watched in my life. Uh, have you kept abreast of... Matthew Broderick's theater work kept abreast.
1: Jesus Christ your wording. Um yeah, I have. I know a lot of the shows he've done. He's done. I've known uh, that he'd done how to succeed in business in the 90s. I know that uh, he's been regularly in and out of plays. Um he's a, he, I, he, I know he's really really busy in the world of theater. He you mentioned as well his Simon plays which I didn't actually know he was uh, so frequent in but well and he got his start
0: um, in one of his first ever i think his first ever first ever job he was in torch song trilogy was he uh-huh he was the kid oh he was the kid that they adopt in huh. torch song trilogy in the last piece and he was in i believe when the show was off off broadway and then by the time the show came to broadway he was in the Neil Simon plays, I believe.
1: Yeah, but Matthew Broderick keeps himself really, really busy in the theaters. Especially, you know, nowadays, he doesn't go more than a couple years without doing a show on a stage. Mm -hmm. Which I love. Yeah. Um, And of course, I've seen a whole bunch of Matthew Broderick's works. I watched Ferris Bueller, I saw him in 30 Rock. I, uh, you know, I've seen a ton of tv shows he popped
0: in and out of i've seen a ton of movies he popped in and out of uh i love him as an actor i would say with matthew broderick even more so than nathan lane at this point there is an established persona Mm. that he doesn't stray far from and i've heard actually i've heard rumors that plaza suite is really the farthest he's gone from his persona recently, and which that is really too funny. Good effect, and I have to say that Matthew Broderick's personality he, he, he doesn't stray far from it here, but it's a perfect match for him and this character. Sure, yeah, he, absolutely. He really seemed perfectly cast in this play. Totally, totally. He just, you you can kind of
1: tell why these two would go, uh, let's do the odd couple, you and me, because they're 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 pretty settled into these characters. They sort of just know how to do this, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Matthew Broderick is kind of playing Matthew Broderick, and Matthew Broderick knows how to play Matthew Broderick goddamn well, and so he does it great in this. And it's great that Matthew Broderick lines up so well with Felix.
0: Right. It's a perfect character for him to be the Matthew Broderick persona.
1: Like, I, I Nathan Lane constantly gives perfect performances. And, co- like, you know, always in any show he does manages to find out how exactly to hit the money. And it, it, that being said, I kind of thought that Matthew Broderick was my favorite performance in this
0: production. I was about to say the same thing. For the first time, I thought Matthew Broderick outshone Nathan Lane.
1: Yeah, which is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big feat to outshine Nathan Lane, especially when Nathan Lane is as successful as he is here, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, But, fuck. He fires on every cylinder and then some like he is a perfect to the T encapsulation of this character
0: besides being a perfect encapsulation why is he so successful like what is it that he's doing
1: well he's so comedically fluent right Mm -hmm. like he knows the pauses he knows the gestures he knows the posture the posture of this character is so fucking integral to how Mm -hmm. funny he is i Mm -hmm. feel you know what i mean yeah. It, it it's he really has it down to a science. It's a really fantastically sort of studied comedic portrayal. No, and,
0: posture is a great point. Just the mm-hmm. way he carries himself. Uh-huh. And the ending, I mean, yeah. it really is I was moved too. And I think that's mainly Matthew Broderick showing he's hurt. Yeah, yeah. Which is really a fucking whopper. Mm-hmm. Because you don't 100% see it coming.
1: Yeah. Um, that leaves us with Nathan Lane. The man himself. The man himself. Um,
0: what did you know about Nathan Lane's uh theatrical past? Well, I saw him in Angels in America on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh I really wanted to see Gary. I'm really angry. So did I, fuck. I am really angry that we don't have a video of Gary. That one's actually pretty devastating. Uh-huh. Cuz I've heard that so much of the humor there was visual. And so an audio uh-huh. then isn't going to cut it. I
1: You can read it with a libretto, but even still you need like seeing that staging, especially Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm.
0: And I grew up with nathan lane he was in Stuart little as the cat uh he's also done a decent amount of voice work voiceovers and the bird cage is one of my favorite movies you still haven't seen it right not yet i I don't know what's i can't tell you how excited i've been to watch it now nathan lane here we've talked about this is more gruff than i've seen him And Uh he's varied throughout the show, which is nice, even though the character is one note. I I thought he acquitted himself wonderfully in the role.
1: Mm. Again, I I liked this performance. And I think whatever you give Nathan Lane, he's going to get to the heart of that comedy. He's going to know how to sell it. He knows what his audience wants. He knows how to mug. He knows all of these brilliant... Classic theatrical tricks of the trade that really never go wrong. Like they really, really mm-hmm. don't. And he just knows how to make an audience love him. He knows how to he's, get them eating out the palm of his hand.
0: He's likable. He's just a likable yes, son absolutely. Of a bitch. And yeah, you know, I thought there were some real shades in the third act of. Mm-hmm. I can't stand you, and I know I'm hurting you, but I know I can't stop myself because I yeah. just can't stand you. And yeah, there was kind he... of a pain as he was throwing Felix out.
1: Oh, absolutely. It felt like Harry and the Henderson's. Mhm. Yeah, I liked his performance a lot. I thought he was brilliantly funny.
0: And I, I didn't I thought I, I didn't think it was the most um perfect casting for him in the world, but he acquitted himself wonderfully and gave all that he could. Yeah. Yes. And was not disappointed um, in the least.
1: For sure. For sure. Um, A great performance. You're never going to get subpar with Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. And keeps you wickedly entertained.
0: Yep. The wickedly yeah. talented... Nasan Adel Dazeem <laughs> Oh
1: Oh That one hurt I think I feel like it would be Hold on Actually Real quick <laughs> Done Do you remember When the Adel Dazeem Thing happened Someone came up with an Ad- Adel Dazeem name generator No <laughs> Did you not know that?
0: I'm sure it oh, happened. There was a whole I might have even used it, but it's something that's like No, it's still it's still
1: mind. around. It's still around. There's a website where you can Adele Dezeem any name you insert. And so funnily enough, Nathan Lane Travoltified is Niven Loing. <laughs> Loing. Oh god. Loing. Lo- like Loing wi- loin with a G. Loing. Loing Niven Loing. It feels like the same thing as uh, you know, Ben Platt who played Deer, he gave everything. <laughs> Anyway um, (laughs) Niven Loing and uh, Martha Baylory In The Odd Couple What did you think about them together? That is Matthew Broderick names for multified It's Martha Baylory
0: Uh, (laughs) 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 They play well together They enjoy each other's company And so you enjoy being in their company
1: it's Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick playing around on stage. What? They're fantastic sparring partners. <laughs> they know how to play off each other. They love being in the room together. They love acting together. You see that love on stage. Mm-hmm. You see that this is two performers going downtown every night and having some fun in front of a in front of a paying audience and getting about fifty thousand dollars a night.
0: Don't say going downtown every night. <laughs> That's not a phrase. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, they're just having a blast. And,
0: they were you know, fucking fair enough. That's something wild, an audience wants to pay to hard. see.
1: Great performances in this. Great
0: performances. I think they picked a decent play for them to have another rendezvous on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm
1: sure the audience walked out of this extremely satisfied with what they walked into. Mm-hmm. And from that, that leaves us to talk about the video itself. Yep. Um, first of all, before we talk about the actual quality of the work, I want to take a second to point out we mentioned this in the sort of preamble for this episode, but I watched this video entirely on YouTube. This was a video that was cut up into 12 different 10-minute parts, and it's been up since 2012, and goddammit, I think that's the beauty of bootlegs. I think the beauty of bootlegs is having something as great and exciting as Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick on Broadway, so accessible to the fingertips. I think that's what makes this entire system so wonderful. You know? Having something so easily accessible, so right at the edge of your fingertips. And something that is so legendary as Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane on stage. I wanted to take a second to highlight that out, because you know, that's not always the case for this episode, and in this case, I was happy with the fact that we could watch something so accessible, you know? Yeah. Hooray to that. Now onto the video. Um pretty much
0: it yeah that you it's a good video it's a pretty perfect video the sound was a little too wet for my taste uh yeah i get you that just a little hard to make out some of the words at the beginning and then my ears adjusted that's nothing that the lovely taper could have done that's that comes down to sound design in the theater um But, you know, it's just... It was a little hard to make out a few words at the beginning until your ears adjusted. Otherwise, followed the action nicely. Um, There was no washout at all. Yeah, I didn't think there was washout either. Which Um, was surprising. (laughs) Uh, mm -hmm. And, yeah. For 2005, yeah. Really decent
1: tape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well-zoomed. Well-zoomed. It captured a lot of great detail in the faces, especially knowing when your two actors were the center of the focus, really tightening up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple tiny moments of missing in action, and sometimes someone said a line, and you didn't really get to them for a few seconds. It wasn't a big detriment. What, it was a little bit of a... Oh, go over it a little bit. I want to see. But it was never anything that affected my understanding of the show or my enjoyment of the production. Yeah. And so... That for me is an A minus. That's a solid, sturdy A minus. But mind give it an A? Yeah, I I, I wouldn't be angry at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I say call it down the middle. Um, and as for the Odd Couple, what would you grade that as a play in twenty twenty one? By today's standards, how is what what are we grading the Odd
0: Couple? In Twenty Twenty One standards with modern sensibilities—it's probably a B. When it came out, and just looking at it and trying to remove, and understand different time, different styles—I'd probably put uh-huh. it at an A minus A.
1: Yeah, within its context, I would feel no remorse about giving it an A. Yeah. Um, and here I think I'm gonna give it a B plus. Because my thing is, I agree with you that, you know, modern sensibilities, this play does not hold up like it did. It's entertaining, and it's not as strong as it was, so it's like a B. But because of a few shining moments of real comedic brilliance, and the amount of times that I actually did find myself randomly bursting out laughing, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm giving it a little plus, because okay. I think it... Uh, I think it it works and then some. You know? I
0: think you've convinced me. I can go with B+. Yeah.
1: That's that's my tagline for the odd couple. It works
0: and then some. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. it works. It's an enjoyable evening. Um it's not theater that necessarily feeds the soul, but then not every show needs to be that.
1: Mhm. Um that's I guess all there is to say about this production of The Odd Couple. Um, now on to next week's show. Uh, if you're hearing violins in the background, there might be a bit of a clue as to uh, what we're about to be talking about next week. Do you want to
0: open it up, Dan? I would say that uh, while you are listening to our episode... You will want to have your binoculars out and stay abreast of situations near you. Uh, we mm-hmm. wouldn't want accidents befalling you as they befell the great ship herself, Titanic.
1: What a morbid way to set up. Like, I thought the concept of it itself was
0: already so morbid and you drove it right into the fucking iceberg right there. <laughs> We're doing Titanic. There's a musical of Titanic, and we're covering Titanic, the musical. We are sitting We are sitting out on Peter our. Stone.
1: We, yeah, we are setting out on our absolutely unstoppable quest to clear every single Mauriesson show as <laughs> oh, soon as possible.
0: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a thrillifying discussion. Um, secrets mm. will be revealed. Lines will be drawn in the sand, or not in the sand. I mean. In the ship was in, in we'll the see. in the water. Yeah, lines will be drawn at sea. <laughs> drawn in the water. Fingers will dra- be dra- pointed. Uh, drawn, yeah, like that. Fingers will be pointed. Blame will be given, and Michael Cerverus will be bald, probably. Michael Cerverus is out. Michael Surferus. Oh is... shit, is he really? Not not. That was
1: the fucking that was like the thing I knew about
0: this musical. <laughs> shit. Not to give too much away, but this is why you don't call out of your Broadway show. You don't end up in the bootleg. All right, see you next <laughs> week everybody.
1: <laughs> see ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Unauthorized Critic Circle. Tune in next week when we talk about Titanic, specifically the Broadway production's performance from November 12th, 1997.
0: If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice.
1: And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com.
0: The Unauthorized Critics Circle podcast is unauthorized. The Podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute the recordings discussed herein. <laughs>